Well, good morning. Uh, so we had a little meeting last night, and a couple of issues came up. Uh, but we're going to talk about one in particular. We're going to work on talking about the uh, Mind Illuminated in uh, Kuladasa. Right? There's quite a bit of drama that's come out this week, but what's funnier is uh, <laughs> nobody told me about it. I only found out about the book this past year, 2020 or so. Um, I had read it once early 2020, maybe late 2019, but it didn't matter. Um, I didn't really talk to very many people. It didn't really go on to social media. And yet uh, nobody mentioned uh, all this drama surrounding. Uh, so working on, uh, what I was actually working on was um, simplifying it and uh, kind of proven by this. So the drama surrounding the mind illuminated and this gentleman that wrote it, um, long story short, uh, he had an open relationship and didn't mention it to, uh, <laughs> but two big takeaways here. So it wasn't really so much that he had an open relationship. It does break his upasaka. I didn't realize he went around calling himself an upasaka. So yeah, you can't call yourself an upasaka and have an open relationship. Um, there's nothing wrong with having an open relationship and having a natural, uh, relationship with sex. In fact, we're going to talk about kamachando. Uh, it's not specifically sexual uh, depravity, as it were. It's sensual, right? So, I mean, arguably all this Upasaka had to say was, no, me and the wife had kind of drifted apart. I was just spending time connecting um, intellectually with this fellow practitioner or something like that. But no... Um, my main takeaway from The Mind Illuminated was he spent too much time on the breath and he spent too much time writing and not enough time um, talking about the Buddhist uh, components. And I may have an understanding as to both reasons. One, you start with breathing, being able to follow the breath. Uh, eventually that might lead you to equanimity and mindfulness. He didn't get there. So I think it's all about the breath because that's all he was ever taught and that's as far as he's got since. And what was the other issue? Uh, oh, he, he's verbose. As proven by, again, the problem wasn't so much uh, that he had an open relationship. It was that he called himself an Upasaka and he had this entire business surrounding uh, this supposed... Uh, uh, but neither here nor there. The issue was also cultural appropriation. You should see how Tibetan it was before. They stripped out, um, I think, what essentially should still be in there, Yogacar and the Tibetan basis, because I think that's, that's what's necessary. Uh, somebody recently put a, uh, a bija, a seed in my mind, that Theravadin could be considered the first step Mahayana the next, so uh, Theravadin being up to the fourth jhana where you achieve Upekasati, this equanimity of mindfulness uh, res residing in this experience of equanimity and mindfulness. Um, to achieve uh, stream entry, you need to manage that, that self, that nature of self, the ego, that first fetter. So we see here's a gentleman who obviously hasn't, and I think it was, you know, this whole uh, recent cultural appropriation thing that, that happened. Um, 
I don't know. And maybe people are just, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. He might have stripped out the Tibetan maybe so that he could uh, be more universal. Right? Because it comes with some baggage. Either there's so many claiming to be of a Tibetan background and, and so many who don't want anything to do with that. I mean, neither here nor there. Uh, he's also very verbose. And that's what I was getting at. The biggest problem was not so much his actions, but this letter he just put out this past week. It's ridiculous. In fact, I'll quote one section, which is entirely what I'm working on uh, and kind of proves my point. So and I'm quoting from Kuladas's letter. I did not fully appreciate that our minds are embodied. Embodied minds is that idea that uh, artificial intelligence hasn't worked as of yet because the mind... Uh, needs a body, embodied mind concept. I think we've talked about it. If not, let me know. We can talk about it. And he goes on and says, besides uh, our minds being embodied, he says, awakening is never going to alter that or that these bodies are subject to sickness, injury, aging, and death. He says, more importantly, because it may be less obvious, even the most awakened of embodied minds still possess a primal reflexive component, a hardwired instinctive reptilian component, and an emotional layer that extends into and interacts with every other layer of the mind-brain, above and below. There is also a massive accumulation of automatic conditioned response patterns tailored to adaptively fit a huge variety of possible circumstances. All of these deeper layers operate independently of conscious intention, awakened or otherwise. Therefore, as a, a lay practitioner in the world, we must consciously acknowledge, explore, understand, and work with all of these layers. <laughs> well, let's just break down this one paragraph. And so, first of all, the mind, the embodied mind. Let's be honest. Uh, if if he's coming from a Tibetan or a Yogacara, right? The reason why I mention that is um, Yogacara or um, uh, Vijnayana or the tradition of like a mind only or a Chittamatra idea or a, a Chittamatra consciousness only idea. Well, heavily influenced the Tibetan thought. So either way, because he does mention Yogacara, and that might explain why Tibetan, and he might have stripped out the Tibetan, because it can offend some people. But this idea of an embodied mind, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, we can let that pass. It, it depends on your definition of the mind. Uh, he doesn't, he says it doesn't alter that fact, and you're right. I mean, but by saying awakening doesn't alter that, I don't think he gets it. Awakening is understanding the mind-body um, conundrum, you know. He goes on and says that, you know, bodies are subject to sickness, injury, aging, and death. Well, that's kind of a giving. I mean, we talk about this early on. We'll let that pass. Then he mentions, more importantly, because it may be less obvious, even the most awakened of embodied minds still possess, and he says, a primal reflexive component. So he's saying something primal and just autonomic in a sense, something that just reacts, reflexive component. And then he separates it with a comma, says a hardwired instinctive reptilian component. What's interesting, when I first read this, I read them as the same thing, a primal reflexive component. 
a hardwired instinctive reptilian component. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and he may have meant to put in a semicolon or right um, some different punctuation that the primal reflexive component is this hardwired instinctive reptilian component, and I'll, I'll ignore that, but neither of those make allowance for what we're talking about here because, yes, the idea here is we are very reflexive, reactive, and our job is to control that. I don't understand why he would mention this. He goes on and says, and an emotional layer that extends into and interacts with every other layer of the mind-brain above and below. What's interesting here is, if you've been listening to me, this is what we've been looking to explore is the Alaya Vijnana, the storehouse consciousness. In the um, Vedantic sense, they call it the latent impressions. Um, uh, in Theravadan, they would call it uh, Bhavanga, Bhavanga Sota or Bhavanga Chitta. It's this um, mind, this storehouse um, of experiences. Sometimes they call it kind of like your, your karma storehouse in a sense, where each action or reaction or preference create a seed, a bija, that you store up in this. So he's referring to this um, reflexive mind, this reactive mind that uh, is responsible for the self, our choices, our preferences. And he goes on, says, there is also a massive accumulation of automatic conditioned response patterns tailored to adaptively fit a huge variety of possible circumstances. That's weird because it's like he's saying there's another automatic system uh, separate from that reptilian component. I don't know what he's getting at here because, I mean, our whole job is to become more conscious to these um, systems, these conditioned responses, and yet he's attributing uh, powerlessness to these same systems. But I'll go on. He says, all of these deeper layers operate independently of conscious intention. Like I said, he's saying that it doesn't matter if you want to restrain some desire. There's a consciousness that will override your, your, your wishes, he says, awakened or otherwise. So even an awakened person is going to be subject to these primal reptilian components or these three different, both the primal reflexive, the reptilian component, and then also a massive accumulation of automatic condition response patterns tailored to adaptively fit a variety of possible circumstances, almost like we're robots. It's crazy. <laughs> But he goes on and says, therefore, as lay practitioners in the world, we must consciously acknowledge, explore, understand, and work with all of these layers. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, he ends the interview with, uh, I think it was Guru Viking, as stating that he's realized our job was to take this off the cushion. I mean, come on. After all of this, he's only just now realizing this. Oh. <sighs> Anyway, so that's what we're working on there. And then uh, i got some other stuff in the works. But yeah, working on my reaction, because as I said, I found the book 
to be an excellent guide for someone in early stages of following the breath, being mindful, maybe achieving some of the jhanas. Uh, I actually even talked about this recently about how he had some Yogacara influence. Now, like I said, I think it might have been Tibetan. But that he might have had a, an understanding of just how important the nature of self is. Yesterday I also learned that the Vipassana movement consider emptiness or shunyata to be kind of a doctrine of, of the not-self. So this whole idea of how important the not-self or, or the nature of self is seems to permeate all of these traditions, but none of them seem to understand it. But anyways, there's a little uh, insight into the current uh, drama that is uh, Buddhism. Can you believe that meditation, actually, it's not even Buddhism itself, you can believe that meditation is so full of drama, but we'll leave it at that.